Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hello, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have two guests that we're super excited about. We've got Blake Ham. He is my mechanic, and we have yeah. Nick Hill, my Manny. Just kidding. No, they're two guys that I've worked with a lot and are good friends and run a production company called Sawhorse, and they have a lot of really interesting things to say. Today, we're going to talk about uh, what it takes to run your own production company. I think this is going to be a really great episode for people curious about starting their own company and creating their own work. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about how when you start out, you just have to kind of make things on your own and... These guys are like a perfect example of how they just started making stuff and working for other people and grew it into this like really successful company. Now they're entertainment moguls. Tune in, everyone. And we do mean ski moguls. People (laughs) ride all over these guys. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. Well, here, here they are. Okay, so we have Nick and Blake here. I think they have a really interesting background. I think they they both came up as Directors and editors, they went to film school. Blake has a more of a trailer background. He worked at a company that cut trailers for a while, and Nick comes from indie film and cut a few features. A, a couple of them went to Sundance. By a couple of them, I mean one. <laughs> <laughs> right? One of one. <laughs> one that uh, went to Sundance. Went but to so, Sundance. yeah, so they both have like a really good eye for uh, story and style, and they came together to form this production company, Sawhorse that's doing all sorts of awesome things. They direct stuff, they produce stuff, they edit stuff. So you guys want to tell us a little bit about your story? Well, we did, we did meet at school at USF in San Francisco, but it was to call it film school would be... Uh, <laughs> We're not trying to talk <laughs> shit. Very generous. No, I mean, but it was it film school or did you just learn that you like to make films? It's more the second, yeah. Right. I mean, you definitely just like figured out if you had an aptitude and then you were like, you know, like. And remind me, there's like a very specific group, like like there's Art Center, right? Right. And the Academy and the, of Art. And the Academy. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm thinking and of. San and then State. San Francisco State. And then USF. And, and then all, USF. And, and their film programs all. go in that order. <laughs> well, <so. laughs> I hear it's getting better. 
Yeah. Right. But like, I, like when I graduated, I went to community college for a semester to like learn everything. I was like, oh, I need to know how to like edit. I need to learn how to use Final Cut Pro. I need to like learn how to use a camera. So it was like, we, you realize you have an aptitude for it. You learn like Nick made his documentary piece by piece, which is like the seminal graffiti documentary. And he was making it in school. And they were basically the teachers were like, uh, you got me. Like, go, go. Well, to- they had me make up classes. They'd be like, I'd be like, I'm making this and I need to get some credit. So they would basically be like, okay, here, what's the name of this class? And I would come up with it and they would give me credits and I would keep making it. And I worked on it for, I think, four years. So, and that and was the last. piece by piece was about graffiti writing? Yeah, it's the history of graffiti art in San Francisco. We both stayed in San Francisco, but we were doing our own thing. Nick made, his documentary was fucking like a big thing. I started a company from that. In oh, San Francisco, right. uh, called Underdog Pictures. And what sort of work were you guys doing? Well, it all uh, started with the graffiti documentary. So I directed that, and I worked with different kids that were also in different film schools in San Francisco. So we all kind of graduated ar- around the same time, and that film played at festivals around the world, and we did our own uh, independent distribution. This is back in the day when people actually gave a fuck about CDs and DVDs. So we were, you know, actually selling DVDs internationally to all these different graffiti stores and international distributors. You know, we were doing online sales and uh, all over the U.S. So I I brought my team right out of college and gave everybody a job, essentially. And we started this company. And then from there... Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. When you're making like a documentary, that's like your first kind of big project out of college, right? Yes. Like, how do you know how to make a documentary? Well, I, I didn't. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I used to make horror films with my friends, barring you know, their family's video cameras and uh, just, you know, kind of messing around with that stuff. And then in college, I decided I wanted to try to do something in media. And so they had us make documentaries. And Blake knows about that. I think you made a couple. I do want to say that, like, our school was the fucking jam. Like, we yeah. had the best school. We had the best experience. We met the coolest people. And, like, it was a time in San Francisco when you could be, like, wearing two different color Converse and, sure, like, sure. Be a freaky weirdo. You were supposed to. That's why you're in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't like, I mean, it's definitely like changed, you know, now. But like you could live cheap and you could be a big fish in a small pond. And there was a little group for everybody. You could be like, we give the school shit because like the program wasn't anywhere. But it was perfect for us. Because like, and then you also like find the thing that you want to do. And, you know, like I took to editing pretty quick. So that was like, I can make some money editing and then I worked art department and there is like, so there's a commercial, like commercial world up there. So, you know, I was like an art PA and I'd like build sets and build flats and like kind of do all that stuff. And then did like my version of the documentary was like, we, I had this uh, sketch comedy group and we would do videos and I ended up just wanting to direct them. So we, that's like what we did. And we, yeah, we put a DVD out and like we sold it to Amoeba and like places where people were taking it. I mean, I still have like a 500,000 in my closet somewhere. But. <laughs> so I, I want to go back real quick because you guys talked about being a big fish in a small pond. That's interesting to me, right? Because like there is a real film industry in San Francisco, but also it sounds like there's opportunity to kind of like make your mark and rise a little bit faster than maybe you yeah. were in Los Angeles. I mean, I think what it, like, I think you hit a wall there because it's like there's just not enough work to go around like here where there's Mm -hmm. just so much stuff to make so like 
current TV had just started and it was like people that was the were first, fucking trampling each other to get That in was there. the first opportunity. Yeah. You know? Like the one where it was like, oh, this is like a job and you like get a salary and they give you a credit card. And there's and lots like, of positions. You eat and lunch if you downtown have a background, during the day yeah. and like all this like normal shit. And remind us what current TV is for people. Al Gore started a television station. I got an interview there and it was like, I was so fucking nervous because it's like, I just want to get in with these guys. And they all went out drinking afterwards. And it was like, we had never seen that, like, I think the word predator, like the pr- producer, producer editor, editor yeah, came, came from, from them. them. That was and the first I, time I heard it. I, yeah, I'm yeah. fully, because they'd be like, what we're looking for, you know, like, is a predator type. And I was like, I, you know, the, and they're the like. Predator just means cheap. That's at the time. No, it's a producer, director, editor, and one person. Yeah. Right. And, and one salary is what they mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I sold a couple of videos to them. Uh, I did too. Oh, so you just made your own stuff and you could sell it to current Well, they were kind of like aggregating stuff that other people were making, but they had like, you know, a huge in-house team that was making stuff and they would do some comedy stuff. Like they bought some of the shorts that we did for $500, which is amazing. Yeah. Because sure. when I moved to L.A., it was playing on TV at my grandmother's house. And oh, was that like, was cool to see your stuff on TV. It was so awesome to see your stuff on yeah. TV because, like, my parents were like, what have you been doing this whole time? And I was like, look, I'm on TV. I just got here. And it was like, and then your parents cut are to like, it, never mm, again. That's not very good. I didn't put that on TV. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so disappointing. But, you know, then you kind of go like, shit, like, talk to people in L.A. who have internships or who have, like, you know, oh, there's a way to get a job, not just like begging on the steps of current TV. Like, and and so like those are the things that I don't think we we got any. Uh, there's the a way to do part, this, right? Yeah, like the, I think the flip side is like you could be you could work in a mail room and then become an assistant, yeah. right? Work right. from then the you, inside, right? Then and, you and recognize like, agents' names or whatever, like yeah, which just, is valuable, but only if you have a specific pathway right and i think that that's like what we got to do was like you we found our voice before we knew that it was going to be a job right and it sounds though like both of you had like kind of some business instincts from the beginning like you were producing sketches with your sketch group and selling them to al gore and you were hiring a bunch of other people that you started a company like almost immediately yeah and you know that was to go back to what we were saying like we had a lot of success with that first documentary and then we tried to pick up video work you know on craigslist and i had no one to go to to be like well where's the industry how do i put my card out so i can be a part of what this is i didn't know what it was and you know we were struggling after that film and i got hired to uh, direct another documentary and my crew my team no one was bringing in work and that film ultimately got financed by a company in Los Angeles and I got dragged down to Los Angeles to finish it. And then I saw the opportunities and then I started networking with people and I saw that you can start a company here and there's work to support it. And there's a lot of support and up in San Francisco, you know, it just, I I couldn't figure out how to like find my place as a small business there in film. And I came down here and like my friends were like working at ICM and like they were fully doing that. Yeah, like they, they had to wear a like suit every doing day. Doing coverage yeah. and it was like. I make minimum wage and wear a suit to work yeah. every yeah, yeah, yeah. day. And but I'm in like, the industry. And yeah. they were kind of getting, drinking a little <laughs> yeah. of that like I got to kind of yeah, be yeah. this tough guy Kool-Aid and I was like, and I needed a job so they were like sending me on these, you know, to these like high rises in Beverly Hills where I would like interview to like be some director's assistant who works for a production company that's done these massive movies that like you know, once I said, like, I really just want to be a director, they were like, well, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I certainly don't want this guy. That's the thing we've never talked about on the show. When you're doing that 
sort of rounds of like, oh, like I'm going to try and get my first entry entry level job. You can't say I want to be a director. You can't, no, tell because them exactly that, what that they means hear. you're going to be a shitty assistant. They want to hear I want to be your assistant. Mm-hmm. That's you, it. You are a genius. And I am so good at organizing your life. That's what they want to hear. Totally. Even though no one wants to be that person. No, but at the very least, like, or oh, I want your job. Right. How about that? Like, I want, oh, I'd love to be you. Well, but yeah, I guess yeah. if you phrase it as like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I want to learn from you. Yeah, right. right. But it's but like, it's, the, I want to do my own thing. Like, there was a director that I was going to be like his assistant on a feature and it became pretty close. I know they liked me. And then, you know, they were ultimately it was like, yeah. You want the director's job so damn bad, like you're not, you know, you're not gonna like do much. Right. You're not gonna do much for us, and that was huge because when I finally, I mean, it got to a point where like I was like interning on like in somebody's like back house, like cutting a documentary. I mean, like what the fuck is going on here? Like <laughs> I don't like any of these things, and like there, none of them are helping. But I'm in LA, and like I, you know, I kind of wasn't gonna go much further in San Francisco, and when I did go to to aspect ratio to to get a job as a runner. And that's uh, a, tra- a big trailer house. Big trailer house. And I was 28. So not like, you know, this wasn't like <laughs> the beginning. I was like, okay, guys, like here, I want to do whatever the, f- you know, I just needed right. to get in. I just needed to get in. And I think like I ended up directing stuff there and shooting stuff there and kind of like becoming somebody who they knew did that, which they didn't do a lot of, which was awesome. But like, I wouldn't have gotten that if I said that on, on, on day one. Right. Well, right. I, mean? I, I think there's also that thing, the better way to say, oh, I want to be a director is to say, I'm down to do whatever. Like, I'm hungry. Let me prove myself. I'm going to work my ass off for you. That they love to hear. But it's different than saying, like, oh, I want your job. There's there's a slight difference between the totally, two. You know totally. I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I know I, I would, to this day, be a fucking terrible assistant. Right. I mean, uh, the only jobs job. I've been fired from are PA jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and, like, I'm, I've been, I, somebody took my walkie from me one time. I was like, just go. Like, you're just not how that. Like, but you, so you <laughs> like in the middle of the day, like, well, who's gonna lock up this street? It's like you're letting every car through. <laughs> but the thing about you, Blake, which I think is like why aspect ratio was like it's like a good move to hire you is, I think not like not like all people, but you you like trailers, right? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> you you said not. you like. You know trailers. what? You know what? I like. I want. I was so like. I'll say this, just like, I love commercials and I always have, like, that's like what I wanted to make when I st- started in college, you know, I, that it was commercials always more than everything. And when I, I wanted know, to be, and why commercials? Because I, like they work for my attention span, sure. you know, they're short and you can get in and get out, you know, like you get in, you make a joke, like the writing can be really great and it can be memorable, but ultimately like post doesn't drag on forever. The shoot doesn't drag on forever and somebody's paying. And I know that that yeah, sounds yeah. like a sellout move, but like it's, you get to work. Yeah. I, I agree 100% with all yeah, of that. I but mean, I, all, all of us here make commercials. Sure, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, it, all, and it's the best, right? Like you, you do it for a couple of weeks and then you're done. Yeah, but you but when did you like, figure that out is, is what I'm asking. No, like, well, like I always love, I always love the idea of this small packaged thing that, that is ready you go in, and then when I started making my real, I mean, it, they are. This is going to sound fucked up, but like it's the, on the production end, like the grind. It's easier to make something shorter that's been thought out and yeah. been written and been storyboarded, and then you know, like it's yeah. easier to make it good than right. it is to like scrap together resources, go out, and then hope that it's good enough to become something afterwards. It's two weeks of your life versus three years, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And like, if it's two weeks of like shit, like you know, it's only two weeks, right? Yeah. But I well, always we all, generally... we all went through high school, right? <laughs> and I enjoy it. Anyway, I guess I just like I was like advertising, and trailers were the first closest thing to that that let me in. So that is why I kind of was like, all right, I'll take it. They're short. They're on TV, but there's no production involved, which there's no directing involved. And they are so fucking hard to make good that it's like out of control. Like it is, you know, I say like any, uh, any great trailer editor would makes an amazing commercial editor. It's not the other way around. Hmm. Because like you think the trailers are harder to edit. Trailers are. Yeah. They're so hard to make good. They're so hard to make. The, it's like, a very have, specific art. And like the ability to cut that music and sound effects that way. I mean, you're basically an audio engineer at that point. You have yeah. 99 tracks of audio and you know, it's everything is about feel and you're still telling a whole story, but you know when to hold the, pull the punches and you know when to like deliver the slam and it's a three act structure. I mean, it's like, like a trailer, yeah. a real trailer. You're telling a story about trying to be super as cool as a music video. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you're selling something. And you don't get to write the footage that you're right. Exactly. Shot, right? Like you're just delivered 90 minutes of probably unfinished footage. Absolutely. You get dailies kind of, sometimes. Yeah. And like the assistant editors. And like, I mean, to be, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I jumped ship before I was like an official trailer editor. And, you know, I'm gl- obviously I'm glad that I did, but. I just felt like I was going to be in that room. I mean, you're alone in a room for 12 hours a day. But anyway, I guess, like, they let me in. Trailers were close enough, so I, like, dove in. And it was, like, the best education. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was, like, we still structure a lot of, like, our raid and everything from, like, what what I was, like, stealing from those little nuggets and just learning about how audio and finishing, I mean, all of post-production, like I learned, Nick had already learned it on his own, but it was like, I got to see. But you had a more structured. Right. I got so, to work somewhere and see how it worked. Right. And that yeah, was like. have a, a big company. The hierarchy. Like, yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. And how like you work. And we've like piggybacked that model, which has been really helpful. Yeah. Right. So you guys are both, you know, kind of working in the system. You're working at a trailer house. You're cutting stuff, uh, documentaries for other companies. How do you guys decide to start your own company? Well, that's when you came I came back. back to L.A. and I was running coffee <laughs> at the trailer house. Yeah, I was just an, <laughs> an independent freelance director and editor, and I was looking for work and basically reaching and pulling on all of my connections. And I think I was just reaching out really, really far, and I found that Blake was in L.A., and I wasn't even sure about that. So we met up and... He had an idea to direct a music video for a uh, band. I was in that a band. In. Yeah, I was in the band. Old and man was, Markley. Yeah, yeah, and I was worried about performing and directing, directing. the video, whatever. And Nick. So he said, let's direct it together. Yeah, what if we directed it together? And that was. So that's pretty much. And it went really well and it was so fun. And like all the. Stressful, but it was like a hobby because there was no money there. No. And we, he had his full time job. I was doing freelance like around the clock. And then, you know, we'd find time in the evenings after work to start cutting it and, you know, putting it together. Yeah, and those were great because, like, you just get off work and then, you know, drink beers. And, <laughs> and try to... <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it was yeah, great. Yeah. It was super fun. Now, after the video, like, I mean, on, like, a well, we dance were, like, floor, like, somewhere really drunk, <laughs> we were like, let's do this forever. <laughs> but it was so fun. It uh, was just like that, though. Like, there was a moment at a bar where we were like, I thought that was amazing. But I guess uh, one thing is, like, we were definitely working for other people. You know, I was yeah. doing it from job to job and I, you know, was a little bit more selective. He was a full-time 
trailer cutter, but we were doing stuff for other people. And, you know, us breaking off and directing our little projects at night and on the weekends together was like our own thing. Like we had control to take that job, direct it or organize it or create what we want to create our vision and then get it out to the world. And that was like so exciting for us. And so we kind of just kept doing it. Yeah. And that was like, so So how did you find clients? Like why, how did people hire you? So I had done like a couple videos, like goofy, funny, like videos for like an app company or like a new website, like early mid 2000s. These were friends of yours or just like, no, they were like startups and like somebody knew that I shot, somebody knew that I made like comedy videos. Word word of mouth. Totally like a startup knows a guy who goes, oh, do you want to maybe like shoot this video? And like, the PR company ended up, they grew and I had done these videos for them and they were great. They were really funny little videos that we made. So they, they called a couple times in LA and we're like, Hey, if, if you're still making videos, we've got some, some, you know, some things that you can do. And, and I was doing a little bit of that. Like when I first got here, like, so I was like getting a, a few like directing jobs for these, like we have $3,000, like make web based, like app commercial. So those started, those would come around and music videos would come around. Nick would get some clients from people who were like, knew that he had that background. So it'd be like these one off little things would come. And you guys were pitching music videos too at the same time. We weren't pitching a ton at that point, but it was just like, I mean the app stuff, the tech stuff, like we did a lot of it and we did it through this one PR company and they were really like so good to us. Cause like, you know, they would give us like, like the girls in the rain video, like that, that you've seen For that, butyl. right? Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. those, it was beautiful. And it was like on a steady cam. We shot in the rain. We got like, I mean, it's like, a, like if we did it today, you know, it would be that scale for what it looked like. It was so right? insane. And it was like, we had like James Laxton, who's a great DP out, out there. Trash bags over the, over red, the red camera. No it permits. Was pouring rain. No permits. I mean, Echo like, Park on I the mean, street. I mean, it was like we could have just like. I mean, we got our production insurance from like a guy who you could had to call, and he would fax you the cert. Craigslist. And it was like, how does this mean anything? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> it's right on a napkin. Because it's totally illegal. Right. It was yeah, right. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. But absolutely. Um, I mean, look, I don't know like all the hard fast rules, but it's like if the producer or the owner of the insurance is down with, you know. Sh- participating in right. someone else's production even in the capacity of like ensuring the production right then that's fine yeah it's kind of a gray area it's, it's maybe well, not full-on illegal anyway like i think what, what was cool about that was that they would say oh you know we have seventy five hundred dollars ten thousand dollars and we both had jobs so it was okay and we take the, you know you make a budget and you go okay this per-, you know like it was literally everything we do now just on a much, much slower scale, scale yeah. but it's like okay, we have to get crew. We, we sound find a sound guy, find a camera guy. Right. And well, we, we had jobs, and we wanted to make good work and show people that we had skills, and we can come up. So basically, the budget would be seven thousand. We would run the numbers and make you know it would be ten thousand. They, yeah, they're expecting a video on a small scale, and we want to make with a little bit more money, we can make something that we're really proud of. So Blake and I would put our own money in. Like he said, like if it was seven and the budget was ten. You know, we would have that conversation over a few drinks and be like, do you want to put some money in? And And we would would always do it. it. And in like the beginning, it was the best because it was like never like it was like that was how we built our reel was like basically people could invest and then we would pick up the slack. And, you know, I mean, basically and it's very I mean, Orin, you know, it's very a sawhorse thing to do. Like we weren't committed to making our own videos. We wanted to make videos for other people, (laughs) but we just wanted to like do them the way we wanted to do them. Yeah, you want to be excited about everything you do because especially when you're 
not making money or losing money. You're basically making it so that it can be something cool. It's a calling card. And right. we wanted, and I remember like then we used to, we're saying like we collect videos, like let's keep collecting and sure. so we can and put the old ones and, in the, yeah, 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 keep putting the old ones in the closet for these new shinier ones, these better ones, these funnier ones, trying new things, you know, like whatever it was. And ultimately like nobody ever would ever say anything about that because you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, we took some liberties here, here, and here. And they're like, whatever. I mean, this yeah. thing is way better than we expected. And, you know? and on that scale, they're probably, like, this is their first time they've done a video or maybe they've only done a handful. Right. And they're probably not very good. Like, you guys are, <laughs> right? Like, typically, right? Sure. You know, and it was like, also yeah. direct to client a lot of times. So right. it was like. No agency. We're, we made them. It was like. And, and then we would run posts. We'd deliver. So, like, we kind of established, like, how we do. And I, I mean, I think one of the things that's obviously worth mentioning is you guys knew how to edit and sound design and like you didn't need to, yeah, to you me were that's delivering. like what yeah. makes you, like you can't hire two, a directing team and give them, you know, $7,000 and get this awesome commercial because they'll have spent it all on the production and have no money left. Now you have to hire editors and sound designers and music people and how do you, you know, del- delivery and right. assistance and all that stuff. And you guys had... These skills basically from like soup to nuts to get a video done. Yeah, and that's no like no matter what. That was the free labor part. That was the free labor part, but that's also like what I think is like a very cool thing about Sawhorse now is that like we're editors. We backed into production from editing. Like that's always been there. So you know, some of our jobs are just post, but like when we take a job that we're going to do production on, we know we're going to run that post through through the shop, and we know that we're going to be there the whole time, and we were there. For through production so we kind of could track changes and you know just micromanage the shit out of every single part of it right so so you guys are building a client base right like you've got a reel now it's getting better and better you're investing and so finally you kind of come to this first real iteration of sawhorse you tell us about founding that company and then also kind of what what you guys do now like how what what is what is all that experience amounted to basically right so you did, you made me do it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're Blake and I are workaholics, and I think you guys sure. are as well, I'd imagine. But, you know, so we're just working. It's the only thing that makes me happy. Yeah. I know, it's great. <laughs> so we're working around the Fills clock. the void. You know, like, but we just got used to it. You know, we worked these full-time jobs or, you know, full-time edits for other clients, and then doing our projects at night and weekends, it was just, like, nonstop. And it kind of started spiraling out of control because, you know, the clients started getting a little bit bigger. The demands started to get bigger. And then, you conference know, calls, conference like in the calls. Of the day, I'm like in the bathroom, like, no, just doing drugs, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. not like, like, oh, oh, okay, never mind. Right, as long as you're not double dipping, call. that's fine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, like taking calls in our car. And like, you know, I would literally I'd be like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I'd run to my car and like hide in the backseat. And Nick would have like directors sitting behind him. And they have to like go, in the, go to the bathroom to make this conference call in the middle of the day. I mean, it was out of, it was so fucking insane. And then you started getting a lot of clients. That's what happened. You started getting a lot of post clients. And then I was kind of thinking, why don't we run this through our own company? Like, why are we just trying to keep this as a hobby? Because we were actually starting to, we started to make some money, a little bit of money. You know, there was a profit margin on these jobs. And so we, I was kind of looking at it like, let's do this for real. Let's actually put effort, a lot of effort into getting more clients and see, you know, where this could go. And then I like shit my pants, freaked, sure. freaked out at like the complete lack of stability. And I was like, I just can't. And I waffled for like probably three months until we were like, all right, let's do this. You know, like sure. that was kind of, yeah. um, so you're talking about quitting your job and quitting my and job. And I was in the union, full-time. you know, like there was a path, 
Yeah. You know, there was that very smart, protected path. That of, was, of people that you can see. Like, you literally right, know the guys see, who go and I mean, look, Not yeah. that it matters, but, like, you see that they have kids. Yeah, yeah. And they have like a house, and you know, they, I mean, and like a, actually, a no, retirement it, fund. And, yeah, yeah, no, it does matter. Actually, yeah. like it entirely matters. Like that stuff is important to me. Yeah, I think the fear was that we were going to become these, like, you know, like an LLC who are just basically two freelancers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And just like not a thing. And like I wanted a job. Yeah. Like whatever it was, it needed to become a job. So I felt like you go to an office, you do a thing, and Nick saw that. I just like he had to just like twist my arm. But yeah, you jumped. <laughs> And then we we started it. We started it in my living room Which in, was in Hollywood. Depressing. But and how how long was the grind though? I just want people to know well, how, like, how, how like long? you guys had a full time job and also were doing these client jobs on the side for yeah. a year, two years. Oh yeah, I, I probably like made a year two, and a half. Yeah, yeah, a year and a half, two years probably until like his business, his post side picked up enough where he's like, I could use some help or I'm going to have to start saying no to this. And I think that was kind of the thing. It was like, if this is something we want to do, this is the time. Because right. there's enough for two people. So you guys were like a directing team, you're editing and you're doing all the client side stuff, getting your own job. Building all the budget. Yeah, we're like a little yeah. like, yeah, we're like these two guys, like two video guys. I know you guys like doing like pitch decks and like client Yeah, we were services. building treatments. We were doing treatments. Yeah. Like, a lot of music video treatments. But yeah, I mean, we like found our voice in like writing there and like kind of like figured out how to lay stuff out. We did it in Photoshop for a long time, which is like super hard. Super slow. It's like, you're like, oh, let's edit this thing. You're like, no, then I have to like move these pictures to another page. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so curious because this is amazing. I feel like this is stuff that I'm still learning. Right. How did you guys pick this up? Like what? what the, oh, the aptitude for that stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. I think part of it is I was up for a job as an in-house coordinator at a commercial production company before I went to aspect ratio and I was there for two weeks and they liked me and then they like saw me try to coordinate like the office and they like, let me go on the spot. <laughs> but while I was there, like I got to like see how a commercial production company worked, mm -hmm. see people write treatments, mm -hmm. like see what it is. So you have a couple examples. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those yeah. two weeks were like so amazing because people would... I mean, I remember like this, these directors were awesome. They were so great. You know, the treatment would go out and I'd read them and it would be this big floral language, explosive. And, you know, like the punctuation was entirely on like meant to be felt and not like being a grammatically right. Mm -hmm. It was just like writing for feel, you know, mm -hmm. and I like, mm -hmm. I like, like that. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like a cool way to write. And then on the client call, everybody's on there and like, Guy, this guy would always be like, well, it's always about, it's all about performance and casting. And he would say it every fucking time. And he would be like, these, like the other end of the phone would be like, oh yes. Yeah. And yeah, it's this like, this guy knows what he's talking right? about. And he would Genius. say it every time, like while he was like clipping his fingernails, because I mean, he knew he had the goods, but this that was, that the, was director the side. talking to the client. Yeah. And that was his moment, just like the job interview. Yeah. Tell them what they want. You know you're going to crush it. The creative speaks for itself. The script is already written. But, like, give them the peace of mind to know that, like, you're going to go on this journey with them. Right. And you're not going to, like, leave them hanging or do your own thing and go rogue because you're, like, this tortured artist. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Give them yeah. what they want and then it's yours. And then you can do whatever you want with it. And, and, I, I, and I think it's yeah. worth mentioning. It's something that we talk a lot on the podcast about is how... You know, we're all kind of in this together, you know, everyone that's like working in this industry. And like, I know with you guys, when I worked with Nick and Blake, you, you know, part of why you two are so successful together is because you guys are like, oh, check out this cool thing I found or check out this cool thing. I found like, I remember like la a year ago, I was emailing with Blake about treatments or something. And tr Blake was like, this is how you make a good treatment. Oh. High res photos. This scene, check oh, this right, out. Right, right. Because we got it from a director yeah. friend and we were like, 
changed game. Yeah. yeah. Like we weren't Everything flipping changes. the fonts anymore and adding <laughs> cool backgrounds. Like we like it and they were so clean. Do you are you using that kind of like broad yeah, strokes I at that time? I still have a little tendency to like add a, like a cool font or like a uh, like a, a line or something. A pow <laughs> explosion. <laughs> <laughs> like a cement you know, a little, sorry, just, just <laughs> like a, a little context. Basically you guys are talking about when you're <laughs> pitching to a client on like your take for something, you guys were talking about basically some people will labor over font choices and all this bullshit, but right, basically you, you guys are just going for a minimalist, big graphic. It's a cool style. I mean, I think it depends on who like, yeah, I think, you know, the person we got it from is a lifestyle guy. Tells like really honest stories, has kind of a doc background, really does like beautiful, I mean, like more like sweeping Apple style commercials. Mm -hmm. So, but I think the point is, you know, those trends change and those things change, but the fact that you're with a group of people or friends with people that are doing it and looking at it and care about it is super helpful. So, if you're like starting out and and someone's like, hey, you know, my aunt has a company, you know, a, a, a gas station, she wants you to do make a commercial for her you know, pitch or something, like, feel free to email, like, your friends that you know that make commercials and say, what does a treatment look like? And what does a shot list look like? And what does a pitch packet look like? And it's like, I think that's kind of part of why you guys kind of grew so fast is because you had that kind of network to be like, you got the bigger job and you could email the right person and say, hey, how do we present ourselves properly? And also the curiosity, right? Like, just seeing how excited you guys are about talking about Good just a, sh- a shift in how you do your tri- treatments, not just like, oh, we figured them out. Like, no, this is the new hotness no, on how so to do a treatment. fucking good. You were so yeah. stoked on it. And like that, that's the secret, right? Yeah, like well, you, that's how you build a passion. business is the passion of, of all of those little things that aren't directing necessarily, but are a big part of how you build a business well, and you get the job, how you direct. And yeah, and right. I think, you know, getting you, to direct. Yeah. Fully, 100%. Yeah. I think it's like getting direct is like there's a game, you know, and you, everybody at this table knows that. But also, I mean, there's two of us. <laughs> like, it's, you know, things get sure. a lot easier like, when Not everybody is like, yo, dude, check out this treatment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you guys know. you guys are very much have similar taste and are get excited by the same things, but also like compliment each other in really interesting ways, which I, I think, like, I'm curious, why do you guys, I mean, I know my answer for this question, but why do you guys think you guys grew so fast like what was it that they saw people saw about sawhorse that made them keep coming back to you you guys have like bigger and bigger the client project. list is we, we haven't really talked about it. the client list yeah. is killer right now you guys are working non-stop it feels like you used like to do everything are, for conde nast teen vogue gq wired golf digest is that yeah, what it's called celebrities music videos like huge publications so, so Every, like you touch everything, features, like you, you've hit, hit a very specific benchmark in terms of the size of your company. Like how many people are working for you guys right now? 11 or 12, like staff full time. Like There's like yeah. 10 people in the office and that scales up to 25. Yeah. yeah. How busy and that's like, and that's yeah, like month on, yeah. month off. Like, yeah, you know, if we have a big job. production yeah. in or like a big post job or finishing something, you know, it can go up. It'll fluctuate by 15 people. I think like last, actually last week. We had like two big shows happening simultaneously, and that was like we maxed. That was like the the most. Yeah. I think there was like the time I visited there. It was like <laughs> it's electric. It was cool because it was like oh, there's just like fucking kids everywhere, like on couches and laptops, like coming up with ideas and like it was great. It's what Last you. Time I was there, people were sitting on Apple boxes and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we ran out of chairs. We bought some chairs. We got some. We, we got <laughs> you can afford to buy some chairs now. Yeah, no, I mean because there were so many people, not because you guys couldn't afford. Uh, but but I feel like you guys are in the middle of like a boom, right? Like it's a yeah, rising fully. Tide it's been no, we're super yeah. lucky. Like, yeah, we're super lucky, and like you know, obviously, like our clients are great, and like they're loyal. But I think like the thing 
I don't know. Like, I think one thing is the pattern was like, like, let's just do everything we can to make sure it doesn't go out unless it's great. And I think, and we like it. I think you can stand behind something you like, even if you're like, well, we'll have to go through some like nasty notes, but like, you like know. Don't show someone an edit. And I actually, we got a lot of that from you, Or We did get a lot of that from you. And I will like credit you with like, we started putting temp color, temp graphics, like everything. Oh, yeah. We were like, we would write a longer email when we would send cuts out on bigger jobs because we were like, we were scared. Disclaimers. Yeah, yeah we were yeah, scared. Yeah. So you kind of like, you know, it's a little sandbag, like here's this thing. And then, but here's all the things we could do if you think it's okay. And Oren was like, what the fuck? Like, let's get in there. Like we Just cut. do it. Well, yeah, my theory is like that the, the biggest lie in Hollywood is when someone says, oh, I know what a rough cut looks like. Mm, I, yeah. I can watch a rough cut. I have watched the smartest executives in that I've ever known note like whatever caveat they've said is it gonna be that That's, dark the first note is that yeah, yeah. Right. well like it sounds guys, weird I mean, right, right 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 why does the yeah. color and look you know, weird no, i don't blame yeah. them they bought yeah. this no thing. but yeah. we we ourselves know exactly how the entire process works and when i watch a cut and there's like the sound isn't crossfaded or the music is too loud or it's just boring because there's no music um, right or like yeah we're cutting from like two shots and one is really dark and one is really bright it's hard for me to pay attention to. I, I, well, it takes like you, you out. Said, you can't focus on the story. And I'm judging the taste of the person who decided to mm -hmm. send this piece right. of shit right. because yeah. it's like the reality is we all know what it takes to throw a, a LUT across the whole thing. Right. And like, who cares? And a LUT is like a color correction look, filter. But here's, here's the, other, the other thing is, and this is like, like your first cut is your director's cut. Like mm -hmm. anybody who says it's the other way around is, is crazy. Because whatever you, whatever you show them, the client is going to think, for the most part, that that's the bones mm -hmm. and they're going to work backwards from that. So if you give them some garbage and they make notes on that, you'll never have a chance to go back and put in those little nuggets that you like. Mm -hmm. It's like you have make one it shot. Better. Yeah. So yeah. it's like put it all in and like wow them with the thing you want first and it'll make the notes process better. You'll get a, you'll get a cut that you're happier with. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I would say that about anything sure yeah sure, like, like sure. emails or production documents or a treatment treatment like you were saying like, there's no rough draft watching yeah, i agree with that watching these things is like an emotional experience like watching a cut is an emotional thing you know even if you know it's a rough Especially cut if you paid a lot of money for it yeah you want to <laughs> see that it works and to me sometimes you know when i direct and edit it's like i've shot something that doesn't quite work but i know i can make it work in the edit but if I don't show them it working, they will never, ever believe me. No, they'll work. never believe you. And they might come up with a solution that they think is better. And then that like supersedes your ability to say, no, 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 no. Let me yeah. just try one more time, which you can do. But like, why put yourself in that position? And right. to be fair, it's our job to filter what happens on production and what happens in post. Right. Like we're the, right. the, we're the arbiter of like protecting the, the project. So like... If a director's not going to deliver something that really looks up to snuff to them, then it makes sense that they're going to second guess us. Totally. You know? Yeah. And yeah. it's not just like to me, the editor doesn't just edit the shots together. I mean, they, the sound is a big part of the editing, you know, and the effect and the look and the music. Sure. And it's like, I mean, we've talked about it a zillion times. Like, if you have like a killer audio track, it can make right. your all the spot. difference. And yeah. if it's like a crappy one, it feels cheap. And well, so it's like, if you send someone something with like a cheap track and you're like, oh, this is a temp music, don't worry about it. It's like all I can think about. Right. Is well, I am worried music. about it because, and you know, I think it's hard when you produce something and then it's like, oh, like a lot of, you know, a lot of production companies don't have post in house. And we were saying you're the, you know, you're the protector of what happened in production to give. I mean, if you wrote the treatments, hired the director or directed it yourself, 
then had to come in under budget and then had to edit it. I mean, every time there's a glitch, your job is to make sure that like your client never knows any of that happened. And it's not like it goes to an editor who goes, I don't know what happened. The sound on this is shit. You know, yeah. like if there's a problem with sound, it's like it's our problem. That's the best and impression it's of an editor I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you know, just like the whole like like that part of like making it at other people's problem. Yeah, like yeah. when things go wrong, like we kind of didn't get out. can get on board with. Like yeah, yeah. solutions are more. You know, I don't know. I sound like I'm. I'm yeah, well, we take our work solvers. really. No. We take our work really <laughs> seriously. But that's you know? the like the, the, everyone says that everyone says they love their work and you know, it's such a big deal. But we are workaholics, and this matters so much to us. And we put everything into every project, even if it's some small little pinner ass weird <laughs> project <laughs> that nobody would watch, or it's you know a commercial that's going to be broadcast we make sure it's good and we write ourselves and we write our crew really hard our, especially our editors and we are proud of everything that goes out and that has not changed uh, you know right with, for- with, the, with the volume of work that we're doing now it's still we still stress out we still wake up in the morning and watch cuts and talk about it how are we going to fix this we'll get in is fights. that thing good enough like- you know you like, know, like I think it's ready to go, or, no, or no. I don't. This you know, shot, we still how can need we to send this. this shot out? Like this simple little shot, which like, you know, I, but it's those. I think it's those little things. They add up. Sure. You know, I think on their own, they're all negligible. But I think it's like they add up to something. Well, and I, I think there's also that thing going back to rough cuts a little bit. There's things that we can recognize and have the vocabulary to say this is what's wrong with that shot that other people won't. But subliminally, they'll be like, I don't like that. And they won't be able to say why, right? This cut's not working, right? You hear and that all the time. That's a dangerous place to be with a client. Exactly, exactly. So like, also, that could be color, that could be sound, that sure. could be, yeah. you know, mix. It's a, a million things. I mean, this is like a medium where this happens. You know, things take different shapes in the, in the edit, after production, in production. But like, if you get something, if you're at that moment with the client where it's not exactly what everybody thought it would be, that's when like the best ideas should be put forth quickly and like you should be excited about it like well what if we try this like you were saying like the best executives don't know how to watch a rough cut it's like well that's not their skill set to like read between those lines and for the same reason why sometimes client notes are like can this be better and you're like i hate that fucking (laughs) note but is that you don't like i get what you're saying right you know their job is to be like the end user to me right right? you know you're right The, the person at home that's watching this ad on youtube or whatever doesn't care if it's a rough cut or not. And they want, they, the worse they are at watching a rough cut, the better they are. I, I think so. Because well, when they're yeah. excited, you're so validated right, because right. you've broken through. And I think like when producers or editors or anybody puts the burden of like wrapping things up on the client, it just seems like you're the expert. Right. You know you, what I mean? You, you wouldn't do that to your viewers, right? So why do it to your client? Right. Right. And, and, and like the assumption that like, I mean, obviously, you know, there are clients that are tricky and like sure. it's hard to read between the lines and, and you've got to get there with them. But I, I will say that like if you do it enough with a particular client, they end up being like your biggest advocate. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that relation, those relationships stay strong. But it's like, you know, just not to burn out and kind of be like, look, okay, how can we make this better? Well, how, what can we do? Like what are they looking for that's going to excite, you know, what's exciting here? Like there's so many things that we can do. But I think before you kind of like, you know, before it turns contentious, I think there's like a little bit of room for like some some magic where people can kind of get, you know, you can re-excite and then everything just gets back on track. Right, right, right. You know, and I think like, I think we're pretty good at doing that. Well, what's interesting to me about you guys is that 
you're working so many different skill sets that typically you kind of divide up into different jobs, right? Like you guys will direct together a lot of the work that you guys have done, especially earlier on before like the, the company got a little bit bigger, but you were doing everything, right? So, you know, like, uh, like I don't edit my own stuff typically, right? But you guys do. So, you know, not only does the buck stop with you, you can't like kick the can to somebody else whose problem it is, but also that makes you a part of the solution, in right. every situation, that's what right? I, that's kind of what I was what I was kind of getting at, right? Yeah. So, so like when you deliver to your client because you're the producer and you want it to look as awesome as as possible, you're also the editor and the colorist who has to put in that extra work, and so you're okay with that, right? You know, so because that's the reason that oftentimes people won't do a complete mix or complete color pass or whatever. It's just because we all know there's going to be changes. And we don't want to have to do those changes until we don't want to do all of that work when we know that it's going to be erased over when we have to change and right. go back into the edit. But if you're doing all of that, then it's only your problem, right? Right. No, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. to- well, totally. And also, your I headache. Mean, your headache, I should say. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And by the way, clients will like fall for anything. Like if you just have like cool lower like titles, you know, or right. just get they some cool nice them. graphics yeah. or an animation. Yeah. That you download from like videohive.net or something, <laughs> that'll be like, they'll be like, whoa, you know, this right. makeup vlogger, like, I can't understand one word she's saying. <laughs> These graphics are pretty awesome. Um, I, I and every single cut, no, no cut should ever have the stock type text. Oh, yeah. Anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like the you, there's no need to cut. do that. That's like you just opened up the text tool and wrote text here and then went away. No one needs to see that. Do something else. Some, change the color, change the font, do some animation, do something. The exception is if you do have to say it's temp, I want it to look as temp, temp as, as possible. As possible. Yeah, like, that's I want it fair to be enough. like yeah. really well, odd. Then you just put temp like I'm not like that, that though. <laughs> I, yeah. I would never even like I mean, you know, I when I worked at Disney, I worked with this director, Sean Peterson, and his first cuts always had like crazy light effects and rays and green screen things. And I was like, How'd you do that? And he's like, Oh, I just open up After Effects. I'm like, and then you just do the effect. He's like, yeah, right in the middle of like editing, I'll open up After Effects. I'll do the effect real quick and bring this title back in. And all his stuff looked like everyone was always amazed by his cuts because he wasn't waiting to finish the whole video. He was like using all his tools at once and he was familiar with all the tools. And even if he wasn't going to do the final effect, he'd do that. And I said, Nick, you do that. Used to do in Final Cut, like insane. Nick temping. is like the G, like Final Cut Seven when it's in a museum one day. It's gonna have like a few thumbnails Tomorrow, of faces next to it. Like this guy turned this thing out. Like, like Nick, the graphics have always been like our fucking unicorn, and like that's part of the reason why Nick got so goddamn good at doing shit in Final Cut because like. None of us ever took like the like oh we should figure out After Effects like that's one thing that like we pretty are, much like the opposite of Oren right 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 like where Oren was like new things I got to learn this we we're like old things hold on tight you know what I mean like I'm like tracking things I'm so, like putting nests inside we've nests hired and, VFX guys that like do a shittier job tracking something than Nick will do even though it'll take him like a day and his like little fingers are, but it's like. And it's like you've never seen so many keyframes. It just becomes a thicker line. <laughs> I think the thing is when when we're when you run your own business or you're working for yourself and you're not charging yourself by the hour, you're willing to put in those extra five hours that might to tempt something in. Yeah. Because you want to make a good impression, and it's right. like and ultimately grow your business. Yeah, right? and it's it, an investment in yourself. And we yeah, still exactly. don't. I don't know about you, but I still don't like put a value on my time like the way you do with an editor's day like it's like still when when you own your company you're working 24 7 yeah because you're responsible for bringing in the work and paying all the people and paying yourself every single day 
So you never turn that off. So now at this point, how much of the nitty gritty are you guys in? Are you still cutting things yourselves? Are you still directing things yourselves? Or are you mostly a sales force now? What, how does it work? I mean, I don't think you or I have cut anything in like I over cut, six well, months. My grandmother had a 91st birthday that I did pull selects for. <laughs> uh, uh, but Dan had a great editor at Sawhorse, cut it. Fucking gangster. Uh, <laughs> did you really? Yeah, yeah. That's totally. My grandma great. was so pumped. She was so, everybody was so pumped. But uh, we're definitely like in our lanes now, you know, like we watch cuts, not editing, sure. directing a part. We did a bunch of HP spots last year together that were really great. Well, let me jump. I'm going to change course for a second. I'm just, I'm going to answer my question of why I think people come back to Sawhorse and like what I see in you guys that kind of makes the business successful. Yeah, Orrin, why is that? Well, I mean, I guess so. Like, number one is I think you're like insanely reliable, right? Like, and that's something that it might not seem natural, but it's super rare to like hire a company and they say it's going to be $10,000 and or $50,000 and it's going to be done on this date and that it actually is and it's pretty good. Especially in advertising, right? Advertising is just kind of built on a world where overages just happen, you know? Yeah, and not not to say you guys don't ever charge overages, but in general, if what was set up front was given to you, you guys can give something solid back. And it's always like, the even the worst thing you guys do is always like pretty decent, you know? And, And the good stuff you guys do is like really good. So it's like, to me, when people say like, oh, we need someone to do post on this and, you know, as long as their budget isn't incredibly low, I'll say, well, if you guys like want a guaranteed good job, go to Sawhorse, you know. But also I think kind of as a team, like what you two bring and you guys talked about a little bit is like, I feel like Nick is like, you guys are both workaholics, but you're like super persistent, like a job that I see and I'm like, oh, this is impossible. We shouldn't even take yeah. this. Like, there's no way we can finish this. Nick will just be like, well, I already brought the files in we're already started this this happens like like, i was like i'm freaking out man i don't think we're ready for this and he's like i mean we're almost done really where was i I was going for one fucking day what the hell like mike has no fear and it doesn't matter how impossible a job is he just takes it one step at a time and gets it done you know whether it's hiring the right person or doing himself or getting someone to do something over the weekend or I mean, you took like seven flights in like three days or something the other <laughs> month just because you needed to like solve problems. So it's like, that's like, it's like 1000% reliable. And then Blake is just like an amazing hype man, like <laughs> with clients. Cause I've been, you know, on sure. sitting next to you <laughs> saying this job sucks, this project sucks, this thing sucks. And I hear him on the phone with the client. just like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. This is so, <laughs> so great. We're so excited. And it's like. It's kind of, I think, that at positive attitude with the getting, always getting things done at like a certain level that's yeah, yeah. good is like, is kind of what well, I, I you think, need. You yeah, know? I, I think like that's definitely like a good way to sum up like kind of how like the relationship is. But I think it's just like we're, we so want this to work and we so want it to be our job and mm-hmm. we so want it to be like a place where people can come and have a job and like make it real, you know, like. You know, when you work at a company, there is a culture there. And it's nice mm-hmm. to know that, like, it's like a huge thing. You spend a lot of time there. So I think it's like how, how you do that, we wanted to make it a real thing. And I think for the budget levels that we all know exist in digital that we all work in, we're able to be a full company mm-hmm. that still can operate on different scales. Right. Well, you think, know what I mean? Yeah. And give the same service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to kind of the final thing I just wanted to ask you guys, and we can just talk about it for a couple minutes, is uh, 
I mean, I know for Matt and me, kind of our number one goal is to be directors. You know, I think Matt would love to direct some esoteric Russian film or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to learn the Russian first. Tell you right. <laughs> and I would like love to direct a Marvel superhero film, sure, sure. franchise film. But we both like that's like we have like our goals and that's like where we're going. And I guess, you know, you guys are directors and, and filmmakers, you know, and you come from a background of being really passionate about the work, you know, like or. Or the product, you know, you love commercials and you love movies and you love cool things. I guess the question is, do you guys care about directing specifically? And is that like one of something that that's like a goal that you had that's changed or a goal that you still have? Or do you guys care more about that building that culture and the company and making awesome stuff, whether you're directing or producing or editing or whatever? Yeah. yeah. How important is it to you to run a company versus getting your hands dirty, basically? Versus directing. Or editing or pitching or, you know, like all the other things that you used to do. We talk about this all the time. Like we always do. But I think like the way we do it, like our hands are pretty dirty. You know what I mean? But I think like recently we have this, you know, Gino, who's like a fucking just such an amazing artist. And he came in to do graphics and VFX and then started directing he did two hp spots that were like fucking bananas and like to get him those jobs was like trust us he's good and like they gave it to they gave him i mean that's bananas like that's crazy to get a job like that just because like we were like no this guy's gonna do it and they're like right. okay the guy cool. that's never he directed a commercial and they, no they never like, hey, yeah. and then but they knew him through the edits and like we had you know like there was a vibe there that like they all knew that we all knew each other but like Nobody batted an eye. I mean, and that, those were like pretty, those were bigger, bigger things. And then watching those be amazing, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, same with you guys, like you coming in for Mom of Duty. I don't know. To me, watching these puzzles and like these kind of things grow and the work get more diverse and like, that was awesome. And it's, it's awesome. And like, I think, you know, like back to, this is like a theme, but it's like, we want to make Sawhorse a job and that's how you do it. I'm looking at Sawhorse more than I am looking at, like, my director's reel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for myself, I never really wanted to own a production company. I never even entertained that idea. You know, I think everyone starts out as a filmmaker wanting to tell stories. I want to make a movie. I want to direct a movie. And then you move to, you know, you move to Los Angeles and you think, I want to be a director. I want to direct things. And I did that and Blake did that and we did that together. And we just started working together and gathering so much work and building this big company. And now I'm directing a lot less than I have, but it's really exciting to own a company and be involved in so many projects, things that you would never direct, you know, like for different demographics, like stuff we do for like Glamour Magazine, for instance, we work with Kiki Agar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I could never direct that, but I'm involved in producing that piece and it coming out. In a sense, you still make it, right? You're still making stuff. You're not actually doing all the heavy lifting, but instead of doing the heavy lifting on one thing I'm really passionate about, I'm doing a little bit of lifting on 50 projects mm-hmm. and getting to see those things come to fruition and have a, a hand in that. And that's like really exciting. And that's a whole different way of looking at making stuff. And that to me is really exciting. People come to me and say, what's your plan? What's Sawhorse's plan? What are you guys trying to make? Do you want to do features? Do you want to get into TV? Do you want to stay in digital? And, you know, my answer at this point is like, I just, the yeah. wave, it, it, like the business is growing so quickly and I never anticipated being in this position. And it's really interesting to see where it goes. And I'm just really excited to like experience that. 
and it's a really exciting and interesting time. So well, I'm open to it, and I don't, I don't need to be directing everything. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. I mean, all yeah, all I wanted to ever do was be signed by a commercial production company and be like writing those Pepsi. My whole thing, my like my joke for ten years was like, like we should be, I should be doing fancy feast commercials, like Captain <laughs> commercials, like they're easy and they're creative, and you get paid a lot of money. I did. That was uh, I do love that spot though. Uh, it's good. It was pretty good. Yeah. But like this commercial production would take care of me and like I would kind of write and be this kind of like loosey goosey guy that would just kind of like hang out at the house until like, you know, I had to go in, you know, like that was like projected. And it, I was, like what Nick was saying, like definitely did not think it was going to be like a payroll thing and like a fucking, you know, like yeah, there's a lot of responsibility. But like yeah. what comes with it is like, we get so much variation on our day and there's like never a shortage of things to do. And like, we can focus on the client experience and like, we can, you know, we can focus on like making the culture is like so great because that is like, I think where good shit gets made and it gets made in a good way. And Uh, maybe like a one bit of advice. I didn't anticipate being in this position. And I think a lot of people have an idea of where they're going to end up, you know, like a goal, like, Oh, I'm going to be directing for TV or I'm going to be making these big features or, you know, I'm going to be a dot cutter or whatever it is. Like there's so many directions you can go in the film industry. And I think you have to stay open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, you know, you may not wind up doing exactly what you, you want to do, but there's so many avenues to take that it's just really awesome. Or what you thought you wanted to do. Right. Well, exactly. Right. exactly. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like that's one thing. I mean, like going through the doors that open is not always the, the best thing to do. And like uh, that we've learned that from a few people, but it also like has paid off that like, oh, here's this path. Like, let's go down it. Sometimes it's, it works and sometimes it doesn't. But like, we definitely like stumbled to, to, to our feet. You know what I mean? And, and there is like what Nick's saying. Like, I don't know. I mean, we want to work. Like, it's hard to work. So we wanted to like keep working. When you guys hire a director because you guys don't have time to direct something yourself, what do you guys look for in that person? Somebody who is going to fucking take this thing to the grave you know like <laughs> somebody's gonna make it their own from the first day yeah. like skill, make decisions skill and dedication and how does someone show that to you like say say well, you i'm can, like a kid out of film school i've got like a solid like you know little mini reel and i'm like i want to work for sawhorse what do i do well the work has to be really good yeah. right off the bat like i'm not gonna put somebody in a directing role if i can't see work that i'm you know excited about and i think is impressive so you need to do that and then you know they have to have a great attitude and be excited and like be passionate and really be like we are. Yeah, you know, we're basically pretty excited like, about this shit. You know, yeah. like it's pretty fun. And so I think it's like, you know, as soon as that stops being fun, like the real affected, none of whom are in the room, like filmmakers were like, Ugh, and everything's like, and the, the, the idea of pushing back so hard on a client to where the job is dead before it starts to me, it's just like, well, why are you doing it? Then why did you take it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you had no idea that this for was like four thousand dollars, of course. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, just, just for the money. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And then, but then I'll remind you how little I'm being paid right. when it no longer suits me. Right. Do you know right, what I right, mean? Right. Like all of that shit. Yeah. Like that's enough. Like directing is tricky because I know this is shitty, but like directing, editing, two things that like it's like to get the at bat. You know, we really like want people to. Do it better than we can, or do it differently than we can, but like the same with the same Passion. like give a shit, yeah, yeah. And I think like that's true, you know, of anything. So if you've got a reel and you're like, we just hired a guy who was this guy's great. He's the 
husband to the daughter of my father-in-law's childhood friend. Called me out of the blue, put him on a job shooting BTS, brought him into AE something. I mean, like that was six months ago. Yeah. He's in. He shot. He's traveled with us. We're putting him on bigger and bigger things. He's cutting bigger and bigger things. And like, it's that momentum that in a year we go, here, take this yeah. GQ shoot. Simple. I mean, not simple, but, you know, smaller, smaller small yeah. in scope. Yeah. 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 Straightforward. Go rock this out. Training wheels. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we can start doing that. Like, that stuff is so great. I, like, I love that story also because that's, a, again, a sort of thing that, like, if my mom was like, oh, well, my boyfriend's friend, blah, 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 blah. He's in movies. He's in movies. I'd be like, whatever, mom. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, but he kid- called. And I remember hanging up the phone being like, motherfucker. Like, it wasn't text. wasn't some, like, passive email. He called me out of the blue, blindsided me, <laughs> threw it down. And at the end of it, I was like, well, shit. Like, that's, that's a start. Yeah. And he's great. You know, it's awesome. like, you know, in acting, they say, you know, a lot of actors send their headshots to casting directors and a lot of people are like, what's, you know, they get thousands of headshots. What's the point? But, you know, I think any casting director will tell you if I happen to be looking for, you know, an Asian kid that looks like this other actor to play them as younger and I get a postcard that week of that Asian kid, I'll like give it to my assistant and be like, hey, keep you know, him around. Yeah, right. Call this person in. So it's like, you know, he happened to call you and you guys are always looking for people. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much. I mean, I'm sure we'll have you guys back on for probably a more focused talk about things. But you know, we always like to get people's history the first time that they're on the show. Sweet. This was this was yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having us, uh, guys. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. sounded like dickheads. So you want to unpaid, unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. You want to go for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I hope this counts. But my unpaid ador- endorsement is the Slim Jim commercial that is so fucking rad. Where those two kids, like kind of like hip hop teenagers, or they have a broken down like 1996 Cressida, and it's on the side of like a dirt road, and they're eating Slim Jims, and there's smoke coming out of the hood, and this uh, horse and buggy comes by with an Amish guy in it, and the guy is like, You guys need a ride. And they cut to, you know, the front shot, like from like looking into the buggy, and they're, now they're all eating Slim Jims, and one of the kids was like, What's it like living without the internet? And he's like, it's okay. I just get pictures of your mom through the mail. And he snaps the Slim Jim. And it's like the best fucking ad. Is this a TV commercial? Yes. It's so good. And it's so tight and clean and simply done that like, it's like, that's like when the brand lets creative do something that's going to resonate, even if it feels sticky. Because at the end of the day, like, Especially in branded, like if it turns into too much of a commercial, you lose sure. the magic of what we're there, what we were trying to do in this in between thing. So to see that happen on a television commercial was like fucking perfect. So that's snap into a slim gym. You got one? I have one little plug I'll give. WeFunkRadio.com is a uh, this radio station online out of Canada. It's a uh, hip hop and old rare funk grooves, and it's I I, I listen to it a lot because. You know, we do long hours on the computer, writing treatments, you know, working on budgets, edits, all that stuff. And like if you're behind a computer for 15 hours, you know, it can get extremely monotonous, as we all know. But, you know, this is like a really fresh radio stream. and It just loops 24-7 around the clock. And it's some really amazing music and really inspiring stuff, especially like the old soul and funk and stuff from like the 60s, 70s. So... WeFunkRadio.com we for the long radio. hours. There we go. 
when you need to budget your your shit, <laughs> we budget. <laughs> for if, budgeting is shit. If you got a all nighter. <laughs> so I'm I'm reading a new comic by Gail Simone called The Clean Room. That's uh fucking great, super good. I think they're on the third issue now. I'm not totally caught up yet. I've just read the first two, but it's basically about this kind of like new agey cult that when people kind of like people will read like the self help book and like get really really into it and then inevitably kind of like give themselves over to the the this kind of crazy cult and there's a a woman who's like the sort of like the figurehead of it and all of this and like basically there there's a journalist kind of trying to uncrack what's going on in this kind of self-help group it's like a little bit like Scientology maybe or you know kind of like more creepy sort of underground sort of like like the, I think of like the magic art of tidying up or something like that. Right, right. Right. Like and plus like kind of Illuminati stuff all mixed together, right? So it's really great. It's called the clean room and it's got like maybe weird aliens as well. I'm not sure. <laughs> that sounds dope. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh. So two things. The first one is not really film related, but with this interesting website, Paribus.com. Have you heard of it? P-A-R-I-B-U-S. And you know, whenever you buy anything on Amazon, this program like scans your email every time you purchase something. And for the next 30 days, it monitors the price of whatever you bought. And if the price goes down, they'll write a letter to the seller on your behalf and get the difference in money for you. Because I guess there's some law that if like... The price goes down on something within 30 days of when you bought it, you can get like a... From the same site? Yeah. Like if I buy something from Best Buy at $100 and within 30 days it drops to 75 this company tracks them down and gives me $25. Wait, Paribus gives, you the, like gives you the difference. Oh. So yeah. it's, it's like they're like the coin star of your, yeah. of the yeah. difference. So in my friends money. already made $40 off it. Oh, Still. Uh, wow. But like just for signing up for the website, like, yeah. you know, that's $40 for doing that's nothing. Pretty that's pretty smart. Yeah. See, that's what that's what Oren does. Is like yeah. he takes something like we started with snores, and now everyone's like, "Hey, just like, like oh, writing it down." Oh. Like Jesus Christ, this fucking genius. So the other thing, just to throw something <laughs> film related in, it's not really a plug of anything, but this project I'm working on right now, our production designer made these like color palettes for each set, which I know it's something like a production designer is supposed to do, but like on commercials and all these things, when we're like just going so fast, like no one ever does it. And so basically we have like a spaceship set and we have a training corridor and we have a desert and we have a forest. And she made these really cool color palettes, you know, these Pantone, like each one of those sets has like eight colors or something. And she shares it with like the, you know, the costume designer and the makeup people and the creature effects people and the DP. And it's just this tool that lets us all kind of stay consistent in the color scheme. And it's kind of exciting because I'm hoping that it'll make everything just feel really cohesive and I, I'm going to put it on our website by, I'm going to put it on our website. I mean, I'm going to email it to Matt and he'll figure out how to put it on <laughs> our get, website. I'll get to it eventually. But, uh, <laughs> but I think it's it's really cool. It's something that I haven't really worked with before, but it's a cool way to just, you know, kind of have a little bit more control, visual control over your your projects, especially when there's like a lot of different people working on them. So Plus if it works cool. like in the subtleties, you know, like the end of the day, people don't know why that was better. Do you know, right. I mean, yeah, you, you hope it's so subtle that it's like, why did that feel so good? Well, so how can we find you guys? SawhorseLA.com? Do you guys tweet or Insta? We're you, really bad at We're uh, really, we're getting better at it. Follow us on that shit and we'll do better. Yeah. You know, but but if people want to just kind of keep track, SawhorseLA is SawhorseLA.com. We uh, do put new work up. There's new work. Frequently. Yeah, new work is coming up. 
And like, look out for like a fun new website that's like a little cleaner and has like a ton of updated stuff. We love working with people, so you know, don't be afraid. If you want to reach out, uh, just send us an email. You know, if you, if you want to collaborate or work together on something or check out the reel or whatever, you know, we're totally open. So and our emails are on the on the website. Mine is Nick at SawhorseLA.com and Blake's. I'm not going to tell you what mine is. It's Blake at Sawhorse. <laughs> no, but their reel is like really, really awesome. You should check it out. I love That's like a, a, a when I saw the reel, I was like, was, you know, G-chatted Blake. I was like, this, you know, this music is like amazing. So check it out. You can find me at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. And me at Mr. Matt Enlow. You can follow the show at Just Shoot It Pod and visit Just Shoot It Pod or Just Shoot It Podcast.com for show notes and more information about these awesome guys and our unpaid endorsements. Our show was edited by Eric Cropot and music was by Steve Combs. Take it away, Steve. And but check out their... Like, oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, mean I was going to say... <laughs> wait, wait, just that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just to say... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.